Hello, welcome to A Cry for Kelp with me, Nick Woodhams, where I interview the movers and shakers of the seaweed industry. Today on the pod, I have Pierre Basilet, one of the industry's biggest mover and shaker, a man who many will credit, myself included, with bringing to life the potential for seaweed through his fabulous company, Nopla. Pierre started his career as a packaging engineer for L'Oreal in the daytime and hacking 3D printers in his living room at night. He then went on to study design at the Royal College of Art in London. Driven by the urge to act on our plastic crisis, he and his friend Rodrigo Garcia's Gonzalez started Skipping Rocks Lab, where they came up with the seaweed-based packaging material they called Nopla. The company has received multiple awards and grants for the products they make with this material, and into April 2017, they raised £850,000 through a crowdfunding campaign, which I remember for the video of the edible sachets of water being handed out at sporting events made with Nopla. The following year, Sky Ocean Ventures invested to accelerate the development of the second product and expand the team. And just last year, in December, they closed a whopping £10 million Series A financing round. We discussed the genesis for Nopla, what they are working on right now, his predictions for the future of sustainable packaging and the seaweed supply chain that will need to meet that demand. So, without further ado, let's talk to Pierre. Hello, Pierre. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, not at all, sir. Thank you very much for agreeing to join the pod. Um, there's so much to talk about, and we've got such a small amount of time. And I really do want to get into the meat of the conversation, which is obviously Nopla and what you guys are doing. But can you give us a brief um, background of your journey prior to getting into design, I, what you did before you were at L'Oreal, and how you got into the packaging world from the start? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm French. Uh, I initially studied uh, a mechanical engineering degree um, that uh, actually I didn't particularly enjoy, but I kind of like uh, gave me a, a good kind of like round understanding of technologies and, and, and engineering approach. And after that, um, I, I was always quite interested in uh, design and innovation. So um, kind of like thought that packaging could be a a good uh, industry to get in because projects are very fast-paced. Things get out uh, like and and kind of like hit the market really quickly compared to other types of products that might be like years in the making before they, they hit the shelves. Um, and so um, I thought that that would be my entry point into the uh, like making of products. Um, and actually, when I did join L'Oreal. Um, um, I learned a lot of things, uh, even though I also kind of like uh, really didn't like the the types of products that I was working on. I think past the like the challenge of like uh, getting these things on the market, um, I also realized the like uh, the fact that I didn't have a strong kind of like personal interest in the cosmetics industry, and that I was not particularly kind of like proud of. Uh, uh, launching products in the hundreds of millions in plastic jars and and like bottles and all sorts of uh, other plastic packaging. That makes sense. So that was your light bulb moment, was it? That you you know you just started to see hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions of product going out there that was in plastic, wasn't doing the world any good. Was there a specific moment that sort of made you go, "Hang on a second"? Yeah, I think there was definitely a few moments where, um, like, I was uh, in the factories seeing all those products flying at incredible speed on the conditioning lines. And it's also kind of like controlled and ordered at the manufacturing plant. And you can't help but think all these things that we are kind of like so good at producing, what do we do with them at end of life? And like the reality is like cosmetic products, they don't really get recycled very well. Like 
it's almost certainly going to end up um, like out of human control and then eventually onto the environment. So I think that there was kind of like this uh, almost frightening kind of like moment of seeing the, the lines kind of like, yeah, like just producing incredible amounts of, uh, of products that I knew were going to kind of like end up in the wrong place. I see. Did that make you and prompt you to go to come to London and go to the Royal College of Art? Was that it? So you went, okay, there's a problem here, and then I need to go and learn something else before I can go and tackle this problem. Or how did that come about? Yeah. So I think I, I grew kind of like more and more um, kind of like disconnected with the the day to day at at this job as a packaging engineer. Uh, it wasn't particularly kind of like innovative and there was uh, really kind of like a feeling of being in a box. Um, you just do your kind of like role and that's it. And um, so I, I learned about this master's uh, called Innovation Design Engineering at the Royal College of Art and Imperial College. Um, and it was really interesting because uh, it was really mixing a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds together to work on innovation, which is something, again, that like uh, wasn't too kind of like developed in France at the time. Um, it was kind of like, uh, like secondary education was more about getting a bunch of very similar minded people to learn about a specific topic rather than like confronting a lot of backgrounds. So in this master's, there was... Uh, like doctors and fine artists, architects, engineers, um, people working in finance, in communication. So it was a really, really diverse group. And that was a really exciting time where uh, just kind of like uh, learned to kind of like uh, change my perspective on many subjects and also met some really wonderful people. And that's really where uh, the, the project uh, started uh, with my co-founder, Rodrigo, uh, who's a, an architect by background. Um, there was really not, not much that kind of like uh, led us naturally to use seaweed, but we um, kind of got excited about this idea of making a man-made fruit. Um, so um, we thought if water was kind of like packaged um, by by nature in a fruit, what would would it look like? And the the the, the idea is like if we can make stuff out of natural ingredients, I'm pretty sure we can make something that will fill quite natural and, uh, and that's where we, we started looking at um, a number of uh, like natural edible materials from tapioca seeds to um, like uh, cellulose fibers, all sorts of different plant extracts and eventually seaweed extracts that had been used for making fake caviar, uh, like some kind of food technology from the 40s invented by Unilever to make tiny little kind of like uh, bowls that contain uh, like fish flavored water essentially. And, and when we, when we discovered that we were like, wow, that's really cool. Like how come no one has made them like bigger and bigger and try to make them uh, like a bit of a, a like cherry tomato and eventually like a full tomato size kind of like bubble that could be used for packaging. And uh, because everything was natural and edible, we could really, uh, like play safely with this and we actually didn't have access to a lab so we just kind of like prototyped all of this in our kitchen and we uh, like made yeah like what looked like a really cool transparent sphere that was uh, made from these seaweed extracts that was uh, literally edible obviously was biodegradable and was uh, super kind of like looking super weird uh, and actually the name that we gave it oho is actually the name of surprise that people would give it when they saw it like oh so that was kind of like the natural name of uh, the reaction from uh, this weird thing that we had created 
he didn't work really well. He was very fragile. He had all sorts of kind of like uh, issues, but he was um, like interesting enough to make a little video that we posted online that actually went viral to our surprise. And from that point, we were like, wow, people are really excited about this thing. We should definitely uh, pursue it a bit further. And um, we were, yeah, like uh, from our experience of um, the world of like bigger companies, um, there was this feeling that if we didn't do it ourselves, no one would actually kind of like try to develop something like this because plastic is very cheap and convenient and no one has like really a, an interest and like a reason to pursue something else. So we felt a bit the responsibility that if we wanted to see this on the market, we would have to do it ourselves and we jumped on the startup journey. Well, I absolutely love all of that. That is, I mean, there's just so much to unpack there from you going to, to RCA in the first place and you know, the kind of people you surround by. I mean, I'm insanely jealous because I love being surrounded by people who are innovative but come from such different backgrounds and just harnessing all that information. So I think that must have been super fun to have been there in the first place. And then this idea that you get to seaweed from trying other products. And, and, and I'm just, what was it that the seaweed product had that the tapioca seed didn't, that the other, the other ones, the other materials that you were looking at didn't? I think we, we got lucky in the sense that we uh, stumbled upon seaweed relatively early on and then it just kept on being confirmed as being such a, a, a valuable material to use in, in packaging. Um, a lot of things we learned on the way, but like um, it, it always kept on validating that seaweed was such a relevant material to use for packaging, for sustainable packaging. Um, so seaweed is incredibly kind of like um, like renewable. Some of the seaweed we've used in the lab grow up to one meter per day. So it's the fastest growing organism on the planet. Uh, it doesn't require fresh water or fertilizer. Um, so unlike um, agriculture that like is grown on land, it really doesn't compete with food crops. There's no ethical kind of like questions of whether uh, this is diverting food from a local population. And it's actually a, a carbon uh, sequestration uh, method for the oceans. Uh, so it really has everything kind of like that goes in the direction of a uh, very natural and easy on nature uh, uh, material. And it's kind of weird that like it isn't more used already in the packaging industry. So I think that uh, we have a lot of catching up to do for like, yeah, replacing the worst materials for single use applications like plastic that is literally indestructible and creates so much harm at the end of life and replace it with something that is abundant and bio-benign. So it was interesting that you say that the, it was the extra level, that it wasn't just that the material itself was good, it was just all the ancillary benefits of it, like the fact that it grows so fast. I mean, you are speaking to the converted with the listeners to these, this podcast because we all know how good seaweed is and or, or just fascinated by it. And it just we're still just trying to find that that one product that is going to create the marketing flexion so everybody is bought into seaweed uh, as much as possible but which i think i'm going to come on to later if i may we, we've got to you, you you've done your, your prototype and now we're talking about you growing the company and you obviously had that viral video you went and go you went and raised some money and i just want to tell you pierre you're talking to a guy who's raised ten thousand pounds on uh on indiegogo once which i thought was massive but when i heard that you had raised 
was it eight hundred and fifty thousand pounds on uh, yeah. on Crowdcube? I was I felt yeah 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 you knocked my ego something chronic there. Um, tell me th- that experience because I I think the crowdfunding campaigns are really useful because they you, you basically build a company very quickly and just try and see if there's any appetite. You but you you build it lean initially. So did you have any cash prior to that 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 you were working with, or was the whole thing just you guys bootstrapping creating? great content and just getting the word out there. What was happening prior to the crowdfunding? So the, the, when we graduated, we, we got into an incubator that was kind of like linked to uh, Imperial College um, like that was essentially like funded by the European Union to try to accelerate uh, projects that were related to climate change. Um, so that was great and that kind of like got us going for a little bit of time, but at, like, we, we spent all that money on... Uh, getting uh, some chemists and chemical engineers to start furthering the the, the formulation and, and the, the the development. We didn't we didn't pay ourselves kind of like salaries or anything. So it was definitely like um, like uh, like bootstrap for a while, and eventually we kind of like uh, realized that it was actually very hard to raise some funding. We pitched for like nine months without anyone kind of like any angels or kind of like family office or VC funds um, responding positively to our our pitch and eventually um, we uh, like yeah we just couldn't go on without anything so we really kind of like decided to go for crowdfunding as a all-in final kind of like push seeing if something would stick Um, and the amazing thing is that we took control of the timing so it wasn't like a case of uh, a fund telling you, oh, come back in three months when we have our next uh, uh, IC or whatever it is. It was like, this is happening between this date and this date. You're in or you're out. And what was great as well is that like <coughs> a lot of like less um, kind of like typical investors uh, were part of like the potential uh, kind of like uh, pool of people that would fund this. And that really made a change because I think a lot of people who were maybe kind of like uh, not so articulate about their investment thesis and where does it fit in their portfolio, they were like, oh, wow, that's cool. I want to kind of like fund this because I want more of these kind of things in the world. And so um, that really helped uh, because back then I think there was also like much less uh, emotional response to plastic. It was pre-Blue uh, Planet 2 and pre-kind of like... Uh, the turtle uh, that had like a straw in in the nose and all that kind of like stuff that happened afterwards that really helped uh, put uh, a little bit more heart into the plastics program. But back then it was uh, yeah like uh, clean tech was uh, like desalination and kind of like um, like photovoltaic uh, panels and things like this. So um, I think we struggled with the fact that there wasn't uh, like a category. And on the opposite, when people started to kind of like fund us on, on the crowdfunding campaign, it was amazing because we raised, yeah, like from 900, and, uh, 900 investors um, in just three days, the videos went completely viral. We had some videos getting 100 million views. So it's just kind of like really good for the funding, but also for the visibility. To this day, we still have people who contact us because they are seeing this video. So it's, yeah, it, it's been kind of like... Um, complete like night and day um, and and uh, and it gave us that first kind of like chance of spending some 
capital on, on our plan and the track record has then made it so so much easier to raise funding afterwards because then you're saying look at what we've done with this money and we've kind of like uh, reached these these milestones and then the investors they tend to say great like uh, I want in keep on doing what you're doing but like that first bit of money is the hardest and the rest is history so um, you raised yourself 10 million pounds just uh, back in December for a series A which is fantastic. That must make you feel very warm and fuzzy inside that you've hit product market fit. But I think you probably had that when you saw how viral the videos go. Um, I'm interested by the future. What is the future for Notplug, do you think? What's the big plan for the next 10 years? So um, I think we've realized that it, the solution was going to be um, a lot of different products targeted uh, on a lot of different applications. There's not going to be just one giant solution that works for everything. <clears throat> so we've already started to create a catalog of different uh, products that use different parts of the seaweed for uh, different kinds of uh, uh, particular contexts. Um, so the OHO still um, like is very relevant for marathons and festivals, um, and like we're also working on condiments uh, solutions. But then we started to work on a coating that we can apply to cardboard to make um, like food service boxes and uh, takeaway packaging for any kind of like home delivery meals that um, like um, has the rigidity of the fibers but also the barrier properties of the seaweed. So it's a good kind of like combination of materials. Um, and in the pipeline, there's actually quite a lot of like other uh, solutions from a seaweed paper, um, some hard rigid materials, some transparent films. So the goal is to have a bit of like a, a catalog, a bit like a tetra pack of sustainable packaging that can offer to um, like brand owners um, a lot of different solutions to help them reduce their plastic use. Brilliant. Uh, and I have full faith you're going to make it. Um, uh, where do you get your seaweed from right now at the moment, just out of interest? So we've actually like been working with the whole seaweed um, kind of like value chain for the past eight years with people across the world like uh, the, the, there's a really thriving kind of like uh, ecosystem of uh, farmers and extractors and harvesters and all sorts of different people that play a role in, in growing the seaweed economy um, so we've actually worked uh, obviously a lot with European partners uh, but also working further afield with people uh, in uh, Indonesia uh, Japan Chile, Malaysia, um, it's just a, a very kind of like well-distributed um, resource. So there is a lot of kind of like local partners uh, that are excited to find some new ways of uh, like creating uh, an economy out of uh, the natural resource that they have. I think that the, the, the main issue that I have found in, in my investigation so far is that from the farmer to the product, there is this, there's this supply issue because of the, which is actually the processing issue. Like we can grow loads of seaweed, we just don't, we aren't yet able to get the processing um, done quick enough to make sure that it doesn't degrade so that it's ready as a material that you, people like you guys and, and other uh, great companies um, can use who do you think is doing it well where are they doing it the best at the moment uh, that you've that you found obviously not to be favorite not i'm not looking for favoritism i'm just interested where you found some innovative solutions for getting from pharma to you quickly yeah i think there's there's lots of places where actually like seaweed is already used in like 
very large volumes. Um, it's it's obviously kind of like used a lot in the food and feed, cosmetics, pharma industries. So for all of those, uh, for already kind of like tens of years, we have kind of like a, a, a robust and growing uh, kind of like seaweed um, economy. So um, all of those have created really good systems where they will work with very local seaweed, process it as fresh as possible, kind of like transport it uh, efficiently to uh, the markets where they are used. Um, I think definitely Southeast Asia is uh, very much the kind of like the the leading region for seaweed. I think 95% of seaweed is produced and consumed in Southeast Asia. So they really got their kind of like uh, their minds together around creating a seaweed economy eight years ago. And uh, we are uh, a little bit at the kind of like Stone Age level in Europe. We're still mostly kind of like um, harvesting seaweed. We haven't like really uh, leveraged the, this resource very much. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity um, that uh, that is like uh, being accelerated by a lot of different uses from packaging to new kind of like uh, medicine uh, solutions uh, to carbon sequestration. There's just a lot of kind of like reasons to grow seaweed uh, more and more. Yeah, I think that's true. We we talk to them all on this podcast, and it's been fascinating to find the different ways in which it can it can happen. Which if it, if it was not going to be plastics, if it's not going to be sorry, if it's not going to be a, um, a a replacement for plastic, what which seaweed product, seaweed based product, do you think will create the market inflection over the next couple of years? If it, if it's not going to be not plastic, I think it's going to be a, definitely a combination because. Um, it's already uh, like used and will be used more across all of the different verticals. I think um, we're only starting to realize the health benefits of eating seaweed in the West that have been for a very long time understood in uh, Korea, Japan, um, and kind of like most of uh, Southeast Asian countries that have a, a diet that is based on seaweed. So I think there is a lot of uh, food kind of like... Uh, uh, growth for seaweed in, in Europe and uh, like North America, um, but I think yeah, like definitely there's there's uses across the whole kind of like whole range of industries. I think um, the one that is definitely like uh, growing a lot at the moment is um, carbon sequestration and uh, like biodiversity remediation because seaweed is a, a very kind of like important element uh, to ha- to to have the oceans help us to deal with all of these kind of like uh, unbalanced systems that, that we've created. So um, there's, there's lots of exciting projects on that front. Um, and I think uh, in materials, there will be kind of like other kind of like use, uh, lots of like substitutes to other land-based products, um, alternative proteins, alternative um, kind of like lipids. There's just a lot of things you can do with seaweed. Yeah, it's going to be a. Com- I think you're, you're you're bang on. It's going to be a combination of of things, and and for different people interacting with different things at, uh, at different times. You know, I, I'm a per- personally, I, I don't uh, eat very much seaweed at the moment, but I can see myself doing it relatively soon. Um, so I uh, I just got to wait for that moment to come. But it might be to somebody else. It might be somebody living by the sea, and they're seeing lots of seaweed farms popping up, and that's what what sort of starts to 
to make the difference, the change, the perceptions. So, but let's stick with seaweed as packaging. And um, this is the meat of the conversation I wanted to get with you is, you know, what's it going to take, do you think, for seaweed to become the default packaging and take over from plastics as as a default? Um, I'm not... I'm not just talking about the materials available because I think you're, you're, you're nailing it with the, with the materials and coming up with different innovative designs. What else needs to happen? We, you know, what, what do governments need to do? and Where do you think it's going to happen? Is there a place in the world where they're, where they're leaning into it, uh, into alternative packaging? Um, yeah. Almost? So I think that there's definitely, um, there's definitely some progress that is being done internationally to, uh, kind of like get ourselves out of the plastics problem um, and uh, I think that seaweed is going to be one of the tools but it's also fair to say that like seaweed is not going to be like the silver bullet uh, because it actually cannot do a lot of things that plastic does so it's definitely a great solution for kind of like um, quick consumption cycles products that are used on the go but it's not a material that is kind of like as nearly as indestructible as plastic so it's it's really also not going to replace um uh, like a be a drop-in replacement of a lot of uh products that we have created out of like the performances of plastic and i think um, one of the main issue with plastic is that um, its cost is virtually very cheap which makes it very hard to kind of like move out of the solution because of like short-term kind of like uh like gains that uh people who use or produce plastic have at the moment um wwf did like a a study and they, they they kind of like looked at all of the costs societal costs of of plastic pollution uh loss of biodiversity health implications and they basically found that like overall like plastic costs at least 10 times its market price so actually, like plastic is not a cheap material. It's just that we virtually price it. Like you just pay a ten percent deposit on it right now, and you let kind of like future generations pay the ninety percent of the price that it will really kind of like cost society. And until we bake that in, people will not realize that we are actually picking a material that is much more expensive in the long run than the other solutions that are available. And so uh, the need for like legislations and bans and kind of like taxes. To actually balance the kind of like that 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 uh, that, that fact uh, is very important because until then you're relying on like voluntary kind of like changes, and those they do happen because like uh, luckily consumers want uh, like more sustainable solutions, but they don't happen as fast as when you really kind of like clearly say this thing is bad for the environment. We have to kind of like stop using it. Um, on the other end, I think seaweed has a lot of kind of like um, like uh, way to go uh, before it actually kind of like is um, able to replace um, like larger volumes of of, uh, of plastic. For example, in Europe, um, one of the big problems that we have is that the uh, time it takes for a seaweed farm to get its approval is like in years. It could take like three, four, five years for for a license to be issued. And that's a real problem uh, because no business can like wait in limbo for like three years. Um, and that deters a lot of kind of like innovators. I think that um, legislation is massively important. Legislation is uh, following what people want. Um, and I think that um, the more pressure we put on brands to kind of like uh, do the right thing, 
Um, and the more we, we keep on kind of like seeing our dis- dissatisfaction with the offering that like uh, we have in our supermarkets and our kind of like uh, local shops, uh, this really now goes a long way. There's lots of brands doing like so much kind of like e-listening to understand what they're doing wrong. And when they hear again and again that like their packaging is uh, is not uh, like lining up to the values that their consumers have, um, they will they will consider really doing something about it. So that's really useful, Pierre. Um, what I'd always ask my uh, guests is uh, your take on blue growth. Like, what do you think of blue growth? Um, uh, what does it look like to you? And what are your predictions for the next ten years for the seaweed industry? Yeah, I think the the UK will um, like hopefully be a like a European leader in um, seaweed, maybe a, a world leader if we have kind of like uh, uh, like really pushed hard. I think um, we have all of the kind of like benefits of huge kind of like coastlines, uh, a lot of great kind of like local seaweed species that um, have a lot of potential of uh, being used for. Um, creating natural alternatives to a lot of synthetic products. Um, I think that there's uh, a huge synergy that could be explored with uh, all of the salmon farms um, to kind of like try to capture a lot of nutrients, so lots of kind of like uh, great synergistic relationships there. Um, and in general, I think that yeah, we could have um, like very uh, a very strong kind of like technological uh, advantage of um, like. The, the UK being always such a good place for starting uh, companies and universities and essentially kind of like having a, a, a very good level of, uh, of uh, innovation uh, linked to also like a, a very strong uh, potential on, on the coastlines. Um, I imagine that in 10 years, uh, it would literally take um, maybe a couple of weeks to get a license to start a farm. They would be kind of like huge parts of the ocean that are really kind of like uh, blocked off for uh, accelerating the bioregeneration and the sequestration of, of carbon. Um, there will be kind of like a lot of uh, kind of like new uh, small uh, players that will create very local um, services to um, like dry grind and kind of like process seaweed. Um, and we could have, uh, yeah, like, uh, like, hundreds of thousands of people working in that industry. Lastly, what are the gaps in the market that, and the value chain in general that you think uh, that you would really like someone else to fill? So outside of you know, what you guys do, is there anything that's blocking things that you know, you'd like a startup to come in and uh, help with that? I think there's a lot of startups that are already kind of like tackling a, a lot of those uh, gaps or a lot of those places where there isn't too much um, kind of like diversity of suppliers and general um, there's um, like a lot of opportunities to um, bring a lot of the seaweed kind of like value chain to the like year 2022 like there's a lot of technology that dates back from the second world war or, uh, that hasn't kind of like really evolved um, I think what's really hard always is um, the kind of like the very fundamental research around um, kind of like uh, the natural processes. For example, I think a lot of the of, of seaweed species are still relatively kind of like far from being understood to the point where we can uh, cultivate them. So a lot more um, research needs to happen to help 
uh, us master a few more uh, species that will bring more diversity in the types of products that we can scale up um, and that will also reduce our kind of like need for wild harvesting for some of those uh, species. I think there's there's a, a lot of kind of like uh, excitement for the past probably like 20, 30 years around this concept of a biorefinery where you can co-extract all of the different elements. Um, still hasn't kind of like really happened at scale, but I think there's more and more people who are pushing uh, for this. Um, and I think, yeah, in general, um, if there's kind of like uh, ways of um, transforming seaweed with the least amount of kind of like um, energy that will just kind of like help miniaturize a lot the facilities that are needed for uh, for, for, for that and also kind of like uh, make it more of a um, kind of like of an accessible um, activity for smaller business rather than like large groups and factories and i think that there's a lot of value when things are kind of like not at the scale of like a, a big kind of like food and bev uh like company employing tens of thousands of people and you can put it in the hands of a company of like 10 20 30 people that that is a very valuable um thing to happen brilliant and um last question are you guys hiring um and if so what are you looking for at the moment we are massively hiring, so um, we have a, a team of 55 at the moment. Um, probably like in the next kind of like 12 months, we need to reach about 100 people. So there's a, there's a lot of growth uh, that is um, like on the horizon. Um, we uh, also believe that like we will not have the impact we want to have until we are 10,000 people. Like I think realistically, look at any packaging group in the world. Um, and uh, if you want to have like a significant market share, you need to really have like that that size. So um, we're still at the beginning of the journey. Uh, obviously, it's going to take a while to kind of like reach that scale, but it just shows that like we need to uh, really continue to work uh, like very actively to develop those solutions and kind of like make them have as much impact as we can. Uh, but at the moment, we are like really uh, uh, hiring a lot. Um, across many different fields, but um, we are um, accelerating the, the commercial development that we have on a few uh, products. So we are looking for business developers, account managers that are kind of like not afraid of like, um, kind of like pitching and selling slightly unconventional um, like solutions um, to uh, like the early adopters in the market. We're looking for chemists uh, and engineers um, who are also kind of like um, uh, um, experience in natural materials and can transfer that to um, like the, the seaweed challenges. We're looking for designers to develop new formats and not just kind of like create drop-in replacements of uh, a plastic kind of like format. Um, we are growing our production team. So uh, we are looking for machine operators who can like do the best job at making um, some of our machines that are sometimes a little bit capricious and will work well one week and not so well the following week. Um, the, the, the kind of love that they need for, for this stage. So we're really looking uh, across the board. Um, if you're interested in this space, get in touch. Um, we might not have all the roles uh, up online, but we're always interested in receiving um, like applications, uh, even prospective um, to work at notpla.com. 
Fab. I will put your uh, details or details of HR in the uh, show notes for this. Um, but yeah, this has been great. And I can't wait till you've got a thousand employees and there are seaweed farms all over the place. I look forward to chatting to you then as well. So thanks so much for your time, sir. And uh, all the best. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.